Welcome to Third Floor Views, where we at Chesapeake Family Life talk about health, education, and living with kids. I'm your host, Janet Jefferson. Today, we're talking about the future of preschool. What lessons have we learned this past year, and how will that change the face of early education, or not? Joining us today is Leslie Romanoff, director and lead teacher of Tacoma Park Cooperative Nursery School. Thank you so much for being here today, Leslie. Leslie, could you just start by telling us a little bit about Tacoma Park Cooperative Nursery School? Because it is a little bit different, I feel like, than some other early education programs. Yeah, I think it is different now, but I think back in the day when it was founded in 1842 by a group of women, it was probably pretty run-of-the-mill. So back then, there wasn't any early childhood uh, kind of care. And so a group of women banded together to create this school that they would attend alongside their children. So the idea between behind cooperative movement is a democratic model in which that the the founders the parents that are involved are benefiting equally from the school as their children are so they wanted a place for their children to play and to receive a playful education and that they would be able to serve on the administrative uh, administrative duties of the school and in so doing basically create an employment track for themselves. So many of our founding members, and uh, this is common with all cooperative schools, go on to be on school boards, they go into education themselves, or they go and they, they, they hone their skills basically. Nowadays, it's almost the reverse. What we have is we have families that come to us with skills that hone our administration. So this is evident in every bit of our school. They improve the state of affairs at the school for the education of the children and, and, and just the longevity. So it's basically a changing group of families own and operate the school. They employ me. They make sure that, that the school lives on into the future. They serve on administrative committees. They, they enrich the school. And they're the longest serving teacher at the school taught for over 50 years mrs kremel meyer her name is and we call her mrs k i won't beat her record i you know i'm a second career teacher so you know she's gonna no one will ever top her (laughs) and basically what she did is she said children learn through play they, we know this because we inherited all her papers. We inherited the parent education that she implemented. We, we have her newsletter. So we know that what she was committed to was educating children in the outdoors a lot and in natural settings and through play. So that's, that's where, that's what we learned from her. Now, when I came to the school, I brought in all this extra, I call them bells and whistles and just extra stuff. I'm influenced by the practices spring from Reggio Emilia. What I brought was this, this other stuff almost. So I added time and space and materials, just really pretty things and bells and whistles. We always held to the parent education. We always held to the parent participation in the classroom. I just learned from Mrs. K and I try to do what she would do basically. And that all of that is straightforward. It's true. Is nature, art and play is what we hold to. And we just, the bells and whistles, I can look at those now in retrospect. And we're going to talk about what things that we let go of. And they were those things that I brought. So I'm proud to say that I brought them and I'm proud to say I let them go. (laughs) 
Uh, so it sounds like some of the big tenets of the school from the very beginning were nature, you know, being outside, but also play. Play sounds like a really big through line through everything. Could you talk just a little bit more about, about play and how yeah. you use play to enhance learning? Yeah. And I think that this is like, this is my course of study because it's like, it's my passion is play and what it means. So sometimes we'll talk about play as social dramatic play or imaginary mm -hmm. play, but basically I divide this into two categories. So it's, and they're intermingled. So one is pure play. This is what all children do. Right. And the other is playful learning. So pure play, I, I hope this resonates with your audience. Cause it's just like, this is how I view it. So the pure play is what children do all the time naturally children mm -hmm. and adults actually so it it's filled with story it's filled with imagination it, it empowers children it gives them autonomy agency it practices life on the planet is what i would say it's like it practices it, it gives them those it organizes our thoughts it connects us it's, it's almost everything so it's everything that we can imagine about the, the possibilities that play gives us playful learning is almost like where the adult steps into the play and or into i'm sorry it, not so much into play but into the child's life so it's like it's a sense of wonder it's it's how an adult or the other children are taught to infuse wonder into the environment so we'll say things like what do you see or tell me more and how could this change or what is happening so this has long long reaching impact into every aspect of education to uh you know problem solving cognitive development everything that we can do that we know that children benefit from with playful learning and and this is when the educator the adults the parents as teachers in their children's lives can curate materials and activities so that the sense of wonder can be given independence and can be given a, a shared voice where children can like communicate with each other. We all, and this goes back to the Reggio, Amelia influences is that we are all part of each, we are all teaching and learning alongside each other. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. I think as, especially as parents, you know, you're constantly learning with your child, you're experiencing the th same things again, but such a different perspective and uh, watching development happen. I think play is so powerful. And, and as adults, unfortunately, I think a lot of the times we forget that. Yeah. So it is, it is a good reminder. I think children force that reminder on us, but that, that use that tool. It is such a powerful tool. It, it is. And that's one of the things that I really appreciate now, actually, because we're going to talk more about how we've gone outside, is that play and playful learning, it, it creates the observational stance, I almost say. So it's like the, the idea that you can look and that that, that there's something to learn from everything around you. So one of the stories that I told during our admission season was that this happened recent, well, it happened in cold weather, so I don't know what to tell you, but it was, there was snow on the ground. And we were outside with the fours and fives and we were, we were hiking to the Carroll Avenue bridge. And for people who live outside of Tacoma Park, it's this grand bridge that spans to uh, Sligo Creek. So I mean, it's really tall and has these great arches and it and it's bright white because it's new and shiny and the children were fascinated. We were up on top of it and they were like, whoa, that is so far below. I wonder how tall the bridge is. So we, of course, did an exploration about the, 
the the height of this bridge and how to measure it. So we marched back to this bridge. The children had to navigate their way. We packed drawing pads and we tried, you know, drawing materials and paint materials. And we were going to measure this. We were going to measure this bridge. And and so that's where the playful learning piece comes in. But the, what the outdoors offered us was so amazing because the children walked and the sun kept going behind these clouds and it kept coming out and and on cold days we really love the sun all three classes have a different relationship with the sun than we would have last year so it's like we when that thing goes by when that sun goes behind a cloud we miss it as a dear friend so so the sun was back behind the cloud and it dipped and the children were watching and they all started counting as one they all started saying one two three and they got to i now i can't remember if it was 38 but then the sun came out and they all shouted 38 or it was a 38 we made the sun come back so here's the magic and the wonder of childhood that they counted and the sun could come back they got to see the snow glinting and the way the light changed in the forest ahead of us but the so so in the, on one side here we are with pads of paper and and, and ideas for measurement, this is the wonder. And then we have the wonder that the world gives us automatically. And, and that's like, those are the two things. That's where you see play and playful learning marry. You see the two of them come together of this imagination and this autonomy and agency and, and connection. So you saw it coming together in this one day. I have to tell you that it was a life-saving day because cold weather's hard. <laughs> yeah, so let's let's and talk more about that, Leslie. I want to hear about yeah. you're a hundred percent outside, which you weren't pre-pandemic. You you were no. sort of a classic school with with the building and tables and chairs and and cubbies and all that jazz. And now you're a hundred percent outside. What is that like? I have to tell you. For the adults, it's hard. I mean, it's not easy for the children too. I mean, they there's things that we've immediately figured out. But like for a teacher who's been working and curating materials for almost 20, 20 years, I giving up the indoors completely was was not easy. It was not easy. And I at the at the beginning, I kept thinking, oh, we need to figure out what we can transfer out. We need to figure out what we can travel out. And I really want to put a pin in this discussion because when we talk about how other schools and daycares and, and uh, can, can incorporate this, that's something we need to come back to. So, but anyway, I, I kept thinking, well, what are we going to take outside? So in the end, we are out 100% of the time. It is a half day. So listeners do know that it's a half day. It's a full day for me. So it's a half day for the children. So, um, uh, so we have two different classes that come in in the morning and the afternoon. The, the, you know, I would say that preparation is important, but also letting go is equally as important. So I had a lot of fears in the beginning of the school year. I had, I was mostly worried about the little ones. So there are two and three-year-olds. We had a lot of outdoor time pre-pandemic so you know when I talk about like what how we came to this journey it wasn't hard for us to arrive at a hundred percent outdoors it wasn't for me and for the families that had been taught alongside me because we had been going outside a lot anyway we had full days in the forest already but I was really worried about those little ones because our former teacher didn't didn't 
take them outside as much. They're little, do you know? And I viewed them as little like beings and I needed to care for them a little bit more. But our new staff, our new teacher, Alyssa Munoz, who teaches that class is amazing. She comes from a different, like from a, a traditional like indoor program, not outdoors. And Adara Romanoff, who's my daughter too, came, even though she was trained with me, she came from a traditional daycare setting, indoors all the time, outdoors very little. And that's out in South Dakota where she was taught, which is actually cold. So, you know, they, they have been amazing with these little ones. So the little ones go out, just they're out and they go into the forest and they go over to the big lawn, just alongside what we do but anyway I think that like it was about leaving the things that are inside leaving them inside and so some of the things that I learned can I get jump right yeah into yeah, yeah definitely jump into it, is that and this is another story that I tell I told at the admission cycle so back in the day with my bells and whistles all we all know that young children need to move and develop the muscle sets the gross motor muscle sets that will eventually connect to reading and writing and sitting in a chair frankly so it's like kindergarten looms right kindergarten looms with its tables and chairs so we had a whole program where we would drag out these expensive tumbling mats and we would put them out onto the ground i mean onto the onto into the classroom one of the classrooms and we would pull out this equipment that we collected over time that would teach balance and tumbling and rolling and the children would wait in line and some children not some actually many children were reluctant to do it Mm. to tumble and play like that because there was this line and there's the pressure and and make no mistake young children feel that social pressure just as teenagers do you know they feel it and they also don't like waiting in line p.s that's the other thing so (laughs) we would drag all this stuff out and then one day the children chose to go to the big lawn. So I keep, I mentioned this before. So the big lawn is the quad at the Washington Adventist college. It's now empty. It's all, all ours. And they chose to go there because it was sunny and we encouraged it because it was windy. And so PS dear listeners, wind in Tacoma park is something we actually have to pay attention to because the trees, we are tree city tree branches come down. And when it's windy, I like to leave. I like to not go to the forest. I like to not be in our yard really. Mm -hmm. So we went to this big lawn and the sun was shining and the wind was blowing and the children could feel the wind in their hair and push against them. They could push against it. So they, it signaled to us, it signaled to the children run, run across this lawn and push against the wind. So they did. Then the warm grass, so fluffy and it's hardly ever cut. It's not walked across. It's like super fluffy. They, it signaled to them roll. Mm -hmm. And so there they were, you know, 14 children rolling and tumbling everything and more that we expect them to do on this narrow, expensive mat and, and doing it without waiting in line, without the pressure of being watched and feeling judged or feeling like they were out of their depth. And the, the most beautiful thing that happened was, okay, so in Reggio Emilia, they talk about the third teacher. So they t- is the environment. We were in the environment, but also the children are other children or chi- children's teachers. So it's not just us. It's that the children encouraged each other. They were like, try this. And they were trying to do, um, cartwheels which is 
for all your listeners out there, as you know already, is kind of hard for a four or five-year-old and almost impossible, but they were doing it. So without judgment, they tried it. And so here I thought that, oh, you know, how are we going to make sure that we get this this checkbox done and this checkbox done? We didn't have to worry about it at all. Mm -hmm. The lawn did that for us. Plus, the other thing is, is that the children at our school don't have access to lawns like that. Mm. We live in an urban setting. So it's urban suburban. Our play yard is actually quite large, yet it's covered with mulch. That's a different texture. Our, this great expanse of lawn is not something that the children have in their yards. So for us to be able to go there, which, you know, the pandemic gifted us, for us to be able to go there and for them to have this, that we didn't take advantage of this every single day since I've been teaching there is beyond me. I can't, I, I don't understand. I stood there and I said, why was I so stuck in my ways? Why? Hmm. And I, I can't actually answer that except that I was. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we were, were sort of all thrown in the deep end to an experience that we could have never, many of us, most of us could never imagine. And I think that sparked creativity out of, out of pain and pressure. Um, and I know with, with 2020, you know, here we have the pandemic, but, but that wasn't all, you know, we had so many other big movements going on with Black Lives Matters, you know, really coming to a head over the summer. And that impacted Tacoma Park Cooperative Nursery School as well. And I feel like we have to talk about that as a big thing that the school took on, that it is something that you wanted to discuss with race and diversity within a nursery school. And how did the community wrestle with diversity, equity, and inclusion, both in practice and also emotionally? Yeah. And I think that the, the, the idea of emotion and emotionally, like this is a really relevant part of this conversation, because I think that it was, we had something that was painful to watch as a nation and it, and, and it, and it kept rolling. It like, it rolled for the last four years through, through us. And, and, and so this emotional, like gut punch basically was a reckoning. It was a reckoning. And, and I think that this is where I go back to the benefit that we all have at our school. So at our school, the, the member families are really involved and they come with many voices and they come with a clear vision to improve things so that's like the goal the goal it's like it's an unwritten kind of pull to the school is that we are going to improve and I think that all early childhood centers and all daycares have this forward-looking piece right because we're we're writing the first chapter of every child's or an early chapter let's say not first chapter but an early chapter of every child's learning journey and life journey. So it's like, I think it's a natural pull. Hmm. So the, that we have families that come to us with all their skill sets meant that we were going to be enriched as long as the organization itself was ready to listen. And that's where we were. So we were ready to listen and ready to hear. So one of the things that, that we heard is that we needed, we have institutionalized racism in the, the, the country. So our, we had to look at our institutional, our institution and say, where 
is it being hung up? Mm-hmm. So one of the first things that we did is uh, we established a DEI team initially, and then it created a board position because that's about addressing the governance and addressing the institution and saying, here's a board position that we take this diversity, equity, and inclusion so seriously that we are going to create a board position. And it's actually a VP, so it's a vice president of the board. So it's that important to us. So the second piece is that we wanted to have a DEI statement and we worked on one initially and it's been fine-tuned and it will, this is the long game. This is, we're in this for the long game. With this, it, Yasmin Khan is are currently serving as our, our DEI board member. And one of the, she's taught me many things over the last few months. I want to give her a shout out. I hope she's out there listening or somebody who knows her is. So um, she, one of the things that she taught, we talked about, this was after the coup at the Capitol. She said, you know, we were operating on norms. We were operating on norms and we can't do that. We can't, it's not just business as usual. We have to change things. So the long game is looking at our bylaws, looking at the membership rules and regulations, making sure that the governance is like, it's, it's evident, it's clear, it's there. This will change our admissions practices. It'll change the way we form committees, the, how we, I'm sorry, I'm going to move you just a little bit, how we, um, how we uh, nominate for board members, how all of it. So it's just going to, that's long and ongoing work. Um, for now, we had this opportunity presented by the pandemic is that we had to take our meetings virtual. We weren't allowed to meet in in groups anymore and i don't know if we'll ever go back to that because we were meeting in a very tiny room <laughs> so it's like, it just it's so convenient to do these virtual meetings because people can come they don't have to get babysitters they don't have to find care it's like it's so much better so in my opinion but anyway so um uh so we had this opportunity to do something what i i learned this from a former member an alumni is basically passing the mic Hmm. as a form, uh, as an act of anti-racism. So it's like we're passing the mic. Instead of us saying, I'm going to be the person that's going to give you your parent education tonight. Here I am giving it to you tonight. Let's go. We pass the mic to Black, Indigenous, people of color. So we said, we're going to pass the mic to these experts. We're going to acknowledge that you are the expert in this. And we've had such good speaker series and it's on Eventbrite. If anybody wants to join, they're out out there for the community. But we've talked about self-care for children and for adults. We've talked about, we, we focus on nature, art and play. So we've heard about learned, we have children's programming too for like where about Harriet Tubman and about George Washington Carver. We talked about bird watching. We've talked about, accessing information. We had Clint Smith on. I mean, that was an amazing event. I mean, so we've just, we're we're learning alongside, this is the goal of the parent education piece is that we're learning. We're constantly in a state of learning and we're modeling to our children. We're learning. So look who we're learning from. We're learning from experts in their field. We couldn't ask for anything better. We have people joining us from New Zealand and from England and from like all over the place, New York City. So, which we would not have been able to do before. So that's something that I actually find really exciting because I've personally benefited from it over all the online resources that are available to us now. So that's something that I'm hoping that we can continue in some way moving forward. So we're planning for it, basically. 
Let's let's talk more about the future because this is something that I just find fascinating. So my first part of the question would be what have been sort of the biggest lessons that you've learned this past school year? And then with that, what's going to carry over to to next year and in even beyond when we hit some some sort of normalcy? What new ideas are you going to take forward? And then what things that you were doing previously are so important that you've got to make sure that those are brought back? Right. I think that like when we look at family education, that's one of our core pieces. Mm -hmm. So we know that we want to carry that forward. The interesting thing is that we have struggled with the idea of parent family participation in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So we know that we are on the high, we've always known that we were on the high end of requirements. We had up to three parents in the classroom alongside with the teacher, alongside a, a teacher in each class session. So that's a lot, that's a lot for other people. And we knew, we always knew that it was a struggle for single parents and for parents uh, that were both working. It was a struggle. So we just looked at it and said, oh, that's a struggle. Keep going, keep going. So what what happened because the pandemic, uh, the regulations told us that we had to limit cross-contamination basically. So we could, we had to give up our parent participation and hire staff. So we found a benefit in hiring staff. And then we found out that, wait a minute, hold on a second. Maybe we can reduce our parent, our classroom participation. And that's going to be something that we hold to because it offers families the opportunity to be involved with family education and with running the school. So it benefits, the benefits, the strength of it is there. The, the ability to come in to the classroom is, will be given voice, except without the high demand that is required of coming in once a week and every other week. So now moving forward, it'll be monthly. So mm-hmm. we're go, we're, it's a once a month commitment and there will be opportunity for, for parents to families who can't co-op to be able to not co-op. And, this, and we're hoping that the finances don't impact them. So some cooperative schools will have buyout options where you pay more, but basically we wanna keep everybody even. We want to have the people who need to not co-op because of work and life, uh, you know, we don't want to bring stress to families. That's like the Mm -hmm. opposite of what we want to do. We want to bring peace to families. So we want to give you the benefit of family education, give you the benefit of involvement in, in almost a way that, that help that suits your family, each individual Mm -hmm. family. So that's one thing we'll keep. Um, the, one of the biggest lessons that I learned, so that, that's the lesson that we learned. We had forced us on that lesson, which was great. And then the other one is that the indoors don't have to equal the outdoors. And that's something mm. that any listener who is an indoor traditional program should take to heart is that, is that so we're planners, teachers are planners, uh, family, family, uh, daycare providers. We're all planners. We plan and we think, oh, we have so much we want to do for every single one of our children that we think, oh, I need to make centers. I need to, there's centers inside. So there should be centers outside. And I quickly learned that that wasn't even necessary. Like I Mm. have collected a lot of beautiful things. I want them out all the time, but last week with the threes and fours, um, we, we worked together with a small group of children to cut branches that needed to be cut in the yard. And they, they used saws, they used clippers, and we cut those into smaller five inch pieces. So we measured 
we cut them, we matched them. The children did the cutting and I, I supervised it because they were using clippers, but they, they cut their own materials basically. So those become not precious. They become available everywhere. I didn't have to drag them outside and drag them inside. And yet here we go with an opportunity to learn math, to learn, to work together, to build something, and then to use these resources in ways that they're imagining will take them. I can't tell you how much I appreciate one of our parents delivers flowers. And he, each week he delivers rain or shine, a collection of flowers and lava, rose petals as lava is a wonderful thing. Like indoors, I would have used silk because there's lava is always, always and forever. But like red, rose petals work beautifully and also they beautify the yard mm. so I just think this idea that you don't have to drag materials means that we're lightening the load of our teachers mm. so we don't have to think oh I have to replicate I have to show I have to do because that shows learning there's learning going on all around us and um so that the classroom participation I would say the replicating early childhood and then I mean, replicating the indoors with the outdoors, that's, mm -hmm. those are the biggest lessons. And then the idea that you don't have to go inside at all is, was even for me, pretty eye-opening. So I, yeah, that was, it was eye-opening. I, I, I really see some beauty in it. I would like hmm. to go in when it rains, I, <laughs> when it cold rain, cold rain, I would like to go in, but, um, uh, you know, there's so much to be done outside, even in a torrential rain downpour. I was watching the children last week rained and I was like, why aren't you all miserable? I'm not happy. <laughs> and they, and they were really, they were running around getting, I, I mean, I told the story to the parents. I said, could you, we had some children, we were out in the woods and they said, we want to go home. And, and I, you know, I would say to children, well, what would you do when you got home? And they were like, well, I would take my boots off. And I said, but listen, a year from now, you'll be sitting in a kindergarten classroom and you will remember this day when you caught water off a beech tree coming down in this torrential downpour and where you drank that water coming off that beech tree. And you will think, wow, I wish I was in the forest drinking <laughs> rainwater from a beech tree. So, which, uh, which by the way, was very refreshing because I did it too. But the, um, <laughs> and we learned a lot that day. So we learned a lot about water. And anyway, so that's, Anyway, that, I'm hoping that that it was just we we've learned a lot. I, I think we've learned a lot. We learned a lot about, uh, like I said, parent involvement in the classroom and like how we can use parents now. So it's like before I had this vision. Well, we always held this vision that parents needed job assignments, they needed tasks, they needed to do things. But now I view it. I just want the parents in to just see the same thing. Say, see the same things to just mm. enjoy themselves to not have to worry about sweeping and cleaning and making snack like we used to I mm. I just I, and I probably in a traditional daycare setting or um, family daycare they probably do this already where this idea that the families are just open to come in and mm. relax mm -hmm. this is probably something that they already do and, and it's like, we needed to learn that. We needed to learn about the peace and the quiet that can come with just observation. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. You know, what can be learned from each other? So I guess that's my last question is based on this past year, what is transferable to other early education schools or even beyond sort of a bigger picture question, sort of how can we as a culture 
learn and grow from this last year to really benefit early learners? So I want to make sure that I answer this in two ways. One, on the ground. What can you do in a child in a traditional setting where you want to start going outside? Because we know that the pandemic showed us that actually it's safer outside. Hmm. So the, with the coronavirus, uh, it's better to be outside than in. So that's one. And then two, I want to talk about advocacy. So, so first, I cannot share, I cannot stress this enough because I did the opposite when I did that started this seven years ago. I went big. I had like seen this in operation. I had seen forest schools. I watched children get on ferry boats in Lithuania to cross the lagoon, to go to their forest. Like I was like, I'm in Iceland. Uh, I have friends, mentors that who taught me is like, let's go, let's just go outside. Don't do what I did because I did that. And it didn't turn out well that day. And I thought I was going to crash and burn the program, but it was okay. The parents stuck with me, but just try 15 extra minutes. 15 minutes, 20 extra minutes, try, try to go 15 extra minutes on, on a rainy day and know that there's resources out there available for you. So there's, we've got our muddy buddies. They're called our rain gear from Tuffo, which they will give you discounted bulk rate. And it's just $14 wholesale for us, or at least it was this last time. So hold, hoping that that stays for everyone. Thing. And then, uh, and that changes things. It changes when you do have the right gear. It is true that you need the right gear. And I can't tell the children apart. We have a bunch of little red muddy buddies going by and blue muddy buddies. Like we <laughs> So you just have to pay a little bit extra attention. It's easy to find them. And then, so the other piece is that, is that I want to go back to the necessity that the pandemic showed us. The necessity was that we had to go outside. So this was not like, yay, let's go outside. This was like, oh no, actually it's better outside. So all the outdoor education settings, you know, the organizations, NAAA, NAAAE and Air Fans, all the organizations that support outdoor learning, they said it's better outside. Hashtag better outside. We knew this. So what doesn't didn't carry over, which I hope will carry over, is licensing needs to walk with us. So in Norway, when they started the forest schools, they the reason why they started those forest schools is because there was not enough interior space inside schools to house all the children that needed education. So it's all why cooperative schools exist. Cooperative schools exist because in 1942, there were no early childhood school settings. So these women decided to make one. So what's happening now is that we see outdoors is better. So licensing, it would be great if they could catch up. So right now in the state of Maryland, you have to count your interior space to let you know how many children can be inside. When I told you that we have a half day program, it's not because yay, we want a half day program. It's because our interior space at our school only allows for a certain number of children to be taught at a time. Hmm. So we are limited in our interior square footage. And I hope that when you're listening to these stories, you realize how big the world around us is. We have rooms outdoor with no walls. We have rooms with no ceilings. We have access to things that we could not provide inside, outside. So so I would love for the licensing or licensing Maryland State Department of Education and uh, even the county to, uh, licensing to catch up with us mm -hmm. so that even now they have hurdles for us to put up shade awnings. For instance, the county, Montgomery County restricts even that. Wow. So it's like, you know, so those things are restricted. And 
and also cost prohibitive. So here we have all these organizations, these family daycares and early childhood settings that were put out of business because of the restrictions. We can open up these restrictions and possibly grow opportunities for early childhood. We, our school could go full day. Hmm. Our school could have extended day napping outdoors. I've seen it. It's beautiful. Everyone try it. So even in, even in terrible weather, children napping outdoors, delicious. So they like, I know it can happen. And, and I just feel like we should catch up. I, mm-hmm. I think we should run to catch up in order to get early childhood back in business, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, for, for those you know, parents or educators who are out there and listening to this and I'm like, yes. Do you have any suggestions on how to move that, that ball forward? I know that there's organizations that are working towards that. So Arafans is Eastern region forest. I, I'm it's E-R-A-F-A-N-S and I call mm-hmm. it Arafans. So I can't remember the, but it's nature schools. Mm-hmm. So natural start is another organization and there's organizations out there that are working towards expanding forest schools. So right now, as long as you're a four, and this is across most of the country, much of the country, not all states, but across, certainly in Maryland, that if you want to operate a forest school, it has to be a total parent involvement kind of piece. So it's like mm-hmm. the parents, it's a stay in play mm-hmm. and, or it's unlicensed. And mm-hmm. so I think that, you know, we're not supposed to operate unlicensed. Right. I mean, licensing actually has a benefit, but anyway, I think that looking to, um, perhaps I could share with you after our mm-hmm, conversation, mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, it's for you to share with people, the organizations that are working towards this. And, and I also would love to have conversations with anybody who wants to try this out, anything, any, anything, any help that I can provide would be great, especially learning through, uh, mistakes. I'm, I'm with you on that one. So uh, I've got lots, lots to share about that. And anyway, and so I think that like, you know, working with the Maryland State Department of Education is our primary goal here. And I applied to be on a county commission for early childhood education. And I think that now that Biden's administration is talking about pre-K, universal Mm pre-K, we have a real opportunity to kind of get on the ground floor of make this a possibility. I think it's Mm -hmm. something that we should move forward with because I don't want to say, I don't want the pandemic. I, I think that this is pointed to something that we need to pay attention to. And it's like, I don't want to call it the new normal. It makes me nervous to call this the new normal. I don't like the idea of masks and like, I, you know, I don't feel comfortable, but I also think that it's, it is, it might be. Mm-hmm. And I know that we were, you know, this is the first year that we were, we had way you know, parents are super careful. They're super respectful of other families. It's been such a, like, just loving kind of environment to work in, but we've had less germs floating around. I have to say there's like less stuff going around. And, uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with the way we're operating. Yeah. Maybe, maybe washing hands is a good thing. Surprise. (laughs) Maybe it is. Maybe it is. <laughs> well, thank you so much to Leslie Romanoff, director of Tacoma Park Cooperative Nursery School. We love to hear your thoughts, comments, and questions. If you enjoyed what you heard today, check out more at thirdfloorviews.com. I'm Jenna Jefferson. This is Third Floor Views. Thank you for listening.